All right, welcome on in Intern Alex Show, episode 27, I believe. It is Thursday morning, 11.39 Eastern. Still in Miami, Florida. A lot to talk about this week. NFC Championship Games, or sorry, NFC and AFC Championship Games. Wolves won three of four, I believe, in the past week. Yes, that's right. Um, Twins finally made a move. Plus a lot of a lot of conversation about um, some hot debate topics in the NFL um, that I'll get to, including recording one of them from the road. I've already actually recorded it, recorded while I was driving yesterday. So, intern Allen show back to its roots in the Camry. Um, then a post game. So much sports in this episode that the post game is also about sports, but kind of different. Not usual content, but about sports still. Um, All right, let's get right into it. The Wolves, as I mentioned, only Minnesota team playing right now. 3-1 in the last week. We had a close win against a bad Nets team. A bad loss to a bad Spurs team. Huge win against a, a really good and rival Oklahoma City team, and then we kicked the shit out of the Mavs without Luka. And Kyrie. So we'll start with the Nets game. 96 to 94. Carlton E. Towns led the way with 27 points and 10 rebounds. Ant had 24 points. Gobert had 10 points and 13 rebounds. He's a triple double, or sorry, a double double machine these days with points and rebounds. Um, no one else had more than 10, I believe. Mike Conley might have had 10, or everybody else said nine at the most so um a little bit of a weird game um the wolves shot 47 percent from three which is great um and still didn't score 100 points which is not great um as is sort of typical and we've talked about it every week now with the wolves the blowing leads is sort of just seems to be who they are and then sometimes they survive that anyway, and sometimes they don't. Um, had a huge lead at, at the half. Um, I don't remember the number off the top of my head. But just another horrible second half. Um, and most of the reason that the numbers are looking a little weird is because a lot of... I think they had 62 at the half, which is, you know, very good. Average to above average for... Um, the NBA at this point in, in time. Um, but then 62 at the half and a um, 12 point lead at the half and then lost the third quarter 26 to 21, lost the fourth quarter 20 to 15, still hung on by two points. So um, had a big league, big lead against a bad team slowly lost the momentum the entire second half and then it came down to um two free throws to tie it from Mikhail Bridges he missed one and tried to intentionally miss the second they got called for a lane violation and the game was over um it should never have come down to that obviously um the shooting numbers cooled off consistently or considerably in the second half 
turned the ball over more. The defense slipped a little bit more, too. Um, so it's a win against a bad team. So, like, you don't get credit for that. And then you almost blew the lead. You didn't even score 100 points. It's a win that feels like a loss in some ways. Um, there's maybe not a whole lot more to say about that um, because I guess it's the type of win that you have that sort of precedes something really bad happening in terms of like compared to like the NFL. Some of the wins that the Eagles were having middle of this year were like, whoa, they're winning, but they don't look good. Something bad happened. And so then something bad happened for the Wolves, and that's that they lost to the Spurs, 113 to 112. Spurs are one of the worst teams in, in basketball right now. Um, Victor Wimbayama is playing a lot better. and may actually be the rookie of the year now um, over Chet. I think that's still a close race. But um should mention right away that there was a bat. I don't, that doesn't have anything to do with the game, but that was funny. It's in my notes. There's a bat. They often have bats in San Antonio. There's like a famous Ginobili clip of him like punching the bat, but there's a bat. And then the like mascot rolls out in like a Batman costume, which like, I don't know if he's always wearing a Batman costume or if he just wears it some games and he got lucky that it, it was a bat on the Batman costume day. Anyway, he goes and gets the bat with the bat net and like does it successfully in a mascot costume and nobody out there is helping him. Like, that may be one of the most impressive things that happened in the entire game. Like, how do you even, like, see or, like, have the peripheral vision or, like, have the hand-eye coordination going in a mascot costume to, like, catch a bat that's, like, flying all over the place in a little net? Like, how does he do – like, that's – I honestly, like, when I first saw the clip, I was like, all right, he's going to run around for a little bit and he's going to fail and then, like, actual – professionals in like polo shirts will come out and get the bat but no they left him out there on his own and he eventually got the bat in his net and uh, it was very very impressive anyway bat aside bad loss against a bad team there's only one point loss obviously so it's not like we got blown out by the spurs but one of the worst teams in the west one of the worst teams in basketball in general beating who was i believe at the time the number one team in the west or we were the number two at the time i don't remember exactly um, I'll give you one guess as to how we lost the game. All right, you ready to use your guess locked in? Yeah, that's right. We blew a fourth quarter lead. Nobody was surprised. Probably everybody got that right. Um, had a 10-point lead going into the fourth quarter. We got scored, outscored by 11 in the fourth quarter. So um, you just look like by the quarter-by-quarter quarter scoring for us, 36 in the first quarter, 28 in the second quarter, 26 in the third quarter, 22 in the fourth, consistently getting worse. But biggest drop-off is the fourth. If you look at the Spurs scoring, 23 in the first, 29 in the second, 28 in the third, and then they scored 33 in the fourth. So we drop off defensively as well. Some of that is it's the dead middle of the season right before the All-Star break. Conditioning is certainly a thing for every team. And the one saving grace of this sort of week, well, I mean, there's two, obviously, beat the Thunder. But before we even beat the Thunder, the one saving grace of this Spurs loss is that the very next day, the Thunder lost to the Pistons, who were even worse than the Spurs. And I think it was without Cade Cunningham somehow. 
I don't, don't fact check me on that. Um, so this type of thing happens in the middle of the season. This is as maybe difficult of a stretch conditioning wise, where you're still playing a bunch of games and you haven't had a break. Um, we're on the road, you know, like these are excuses, but I, I think they're real. And I, and I think the, con, the sort of consistent fall off quarter by quarter that we saw in this game is indicative of the team was just a little bit tired. Um, that being said, we have to be better. We have to be a little bit more mature. Um, to not blow these leads the way we have. It seems like the team is just a little bit like is very happy, I guess, to let off the gas a little bit. Build a big lead against a bad team. All right, we did our job. And then, you know, those guys are pros too. Victor Wambayama's one of the, you know, soon to be one of the best players in the game. Like they got guys. Devin Vassell killed us too. He had 25. Um, Wemby, by the way, I didn't read the box score numbers. Wemby had 20, where is it? Where'd it go? He had 23 and 10 in 30 minutes. Um, as for us, we had Ant with 32 and 12 assists. It was a great game for him. Um, Towns with 19, 104 from three. Um, Rudy with 19 and seven rebounds. Very rare that he doesn't get 10 rebounds. Um actually know if you know he's averaging just looked it up 12 rebounds a game so seven is well under his um season average that's obviously a went by yama type of thing um but yeah it's just pretty good numbers overall for the entire game it's just the fourth quarter wasn't good and when the fourth quarter isn't good in the nba you're, you're gonna your leads are gonna disappear and, and that's exactly what happened um, a lot of turnovers in that fourth quarter, missed threes, some wide open missed threes, missed layups, offensive fouls, that type of stuff that seems to just kind of be plaguing each of our fourth quarters, um, happened again with the Spurs and you're like, all right, after this game, what do we say? Maybe the team's not as good as we thought they were. We're in a bit of a struggle. We just barely beat a bad Nets team. Then we lost to one of the worst teams in basketball. Like, maybe we aren't who we thought we were. Just kidding. Then we beat we beat the Thunder on the road by six. And this time we go into the fourth quarter trailing by four points, outscore them by ten in the fourth. We win by six. So maybe we just need to be, like, maybe we just need to be down going into every fourth quarter and we'll win the game. Maybe that's just what the team needs. Or maybe we just need to play good teams and then we play well. Um, I don't know. Uh, Ann had 27. Cat had 21 and 10. Rudy with 12 and 18. 12 and 18 is such a perfect fucking Rudy game. All we ever need is 12 points from him. And then just huge rebounding numbers. Um, playing good post-defense. That's ex- like If you look at those three guys playing those games, 27 from Ant leading the way scoring. Cat with 21 and 10. You know, it's that second scoring option and the good rebounder. And then Rudy just getting every other board. Like, that's kind of exactly how you drew it up with these three. It's how exactly the way that we want them to be playing together. Nas Reed contributed off the bench, too, obviously. Um, but, yeah, a really close game against a really good team that the fourth quarter we kind of took care of business in a way that we haven't seen recently. Um, 
so like a big big win against the can't close out games allegations that I've been spewing on this podcast for the past couple of weeks. So credit to them for that. Um, it really happened the spurt at the very beginning of the fourth quarter, mostly with the bench guys kind of taking care of business there. Um, we might be deeper than Oklahoma City. I guess that's a take that I haven't really thought through completely. Depends on how you feel about like Isaiah Joe compared to like Jordan McLaughlin, like that type of thing, um, which I don't think there's a lot of people out there that are even considering those players to be all that relevant. Um, but at least for the four, the beginning of this fourth quarter, our bench guys had a little bit of a spurt. They took a little bit of a lead. It even back up a little bit um, through the middle of the quarter, but then the closing lineup for us closed it out. Big dunk from Ant where he got fouled on. And then just kind of taking care of business the rest of the way. Um, by the way, um, this was another game where there were like a ton of missed calls in the two-minute report that they mentioned. And one of them, which was an obvious foul against Shea, or foul, foul by Shea against Ant, um, on that dunk where he's like grabbing his wrist. That like the two minute report said it like wasn't a thing when the whole world you know the whole world saw it. Uh, Carl Anthony Towns posted on Instagram the the uh, picture of Pat Bev bringing the camera over to the ref, just a classic moment. Um, and I mean the whole world saw it. Like he grabbed his wrist on the way to the dunk. He dunked it anyway, but we're not calling it. Um, Shea, by the way, was really good in this game again. 37 points. Um, seven assists, or eight assists, sorry, seven rebounds. Um, maybe the real difference was in the game is that we just let Lou Dort shoot, which is a very common, like, how do we beat the Thunder strategy is to let Lou Dort shoot. Um, and he was 0 for 7 from the field, 0 for 6 from 3. So that... Um, Obviously made a huge difference. If he makes even two of those threes, it's a tie ball game, etc. Um, other than that, they shot pretty well from three, but <laughs> Lou Dort kind of killed them. Um, it was a bad Chet game as well. So good to see. Because um, it was, I think, not the last game we played against the Thunder, but the one before that, Chet kind of ate us up a little bit. Um, good to see us put him back. Good to see us put him back in that box. Um and then, yeah, their bench had 10, 15, 22, 25 points. Our bench, we only played three of them, had 21. But it was, you know, all in that one spurt, and we relied on the starters pretty significantly. Um, let me see if I had any other notes. So maybe they are deeper than us. I might have made that up. Um, obviously a huge win. Um, standings, we're back at the top of the conference. Again, this win. Uh, and and uh, honestly, their loss against the Pistons is a huge part of that. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Then um, 
last night, I believe it was. Did not watch. Killed the Mavs, um, 121-87. to They did not have Luka or Kyrie. Both are injured and have been injured for a couple days now. Um, and the Mavs are kind of tanking. Well, they're not tanking, but they're like dipping quite a bit because of that. And they already were very close to playing game trouble. Um, so they're sort of struggling. Um, obviously no Luka and no Kyrie makes a huge difference. This game doesn't really tell us anything. We won by 34. Um, Cat had 29 and nine. He led all scores. Um, Edwards had nine points only. Um, every now and then he just gets like very low scoring numbers. It's very interesting. Um, <clears throat> sometimes against like bad teams too, he's just like, eh, I'm not going to score today. Obviously that happened against the Hornets and we lost because of it, but this game, it didn't seem to matter because I mean, the, the lineup, the, the Mavs put out there was pretty disgusting. Um, let me see who started the game. Grant Williams, yeesh. Rashawn Holmes, Tim Hardaway Jr., Jay Green, Josh Green. I don't know who Josh Green is. And then Jaden Hardy, who is, like, also not good. Um, so that's just a disgusting lineup. Anyway, that game doesn't really mean anything. Um, let me just check in with the standings real quick. Like I said, we're on top of the conference. 34 and 14 right now. Winning at a 70% clip right now, which is 71% if you round up. Um, which is, I mean, incredible. The Wolves haven't been that good maybe ever, I think. Probably ever. Um, OKC is 33 and 15, just one game back. Um, the Clippers didn't realize they were playing so well. 31 and 15. Two games back of us. Denver's 33 and 16, a game and a half back. How does that work? How, is the, how are the Clippers two games back and they're ahead of Denver, who's a game and a half back? That doesn't make any damn sense. Um, well, whatever. Um, looking ahead. It's February now. Got the Magic tomorrow night, the Rockets Sunday night, the Bulls Tuesday night, and then those are the only three games before I pot again. Should be three wins. The Magic are a pretty, pretty good young team. They've fallen off a bit in the past month or so, but um, should beat them at home. Should beat the Rockets at home. We go to the Bulls. The Bulls don't really have a lot of sauce going for them right now. So I think we – I'm hoping for a 3-0. But I'm uh, letting you know right now there's very likely blown fourth quarter lead, bad loss potential for one of these games. Um, all right, let's move on to the Twins. <clears throat> the Twins made a move. Traded Jorge Polanco, the longest tenured – player on the twins currently um one of the only twins really remaining from the kind of gross time before the bomba squad i guess buxton was around then too anyway um longest tenure twin 
it's been around forever. I like don't even know actually how long it's been. Twelve something years. But um got rid of him for a to the Mariners. For Gabriel Gonzalez, who's a prospect, Justin Topa, who's a reliever, uh, Anthony DiSclafani, who's a relatively bad starting pitcher, and one more person whose name I forgot, who's also a um, minor leaguer prospect, dude. Um, you can tell by that I forgot his name that he's not really an important piece of this deal in my mind. Um, overall, I like the trade. It... If you look at various trade value charts online, um, they say that it's a value-wise, it's a much better haul for us that we got in return than that we gave away um, to the Mariners. And it's made even better by there wasn't really the fact that there wasn't even really a spot for Polanco in this year's starting lineup coming up, probably. Um. The starting infield, at least right now, projects to be Kirilov at first, Julian at second, obviously Correa at short, and then Royce Lewis at third. Um, I don't know who you replace in that with Polanco. You know, maybe Kirilov because he's always hurt, and that and there's that. But I don't think it, realistically Polanco is going to play first base. If you're going to have, if you're going to replace Kirilov in that, you'd have Eddie Julian playing first base, which I don't think we'll want to have happen either. Um, that was something that kind of was talked about a decent amount last year, and I think he played maybe a few games there even. But um, we've been kind of overloaded on the right side of the infield for a couple of years now. Um, in terms of Arias having to play there, we obviously got rid of him. Julian comes up. Um, Kirilov, other guys, you know, when Sano was on the team, we kind of had to find a spot for him to play first base when we had other DHs, whatever. When Byron Buxton playing DH, etc. Um, so there's not really a spot for him in the starting lineup because that's what it's going to be. Julian's a better hitter than him at this point, and he's a natural second baseman and not really good anywhere else. Polanco wasn't always successful at short, and Correa's there already. Polanco's not a third baseman, and Royce Lewis is a better hitter than him anyway. Um, so there wasn't really a spot. Um, he's only 30, which is a lot younger than I thought he was, to be fair. But um, he'll go be a middle-of-the-line of bat for Seattle, which is, you know, and that's the reason they got him is because they, you know, I want to have that bat. And he's still a valuable bat, but um, just not really a spot for him in our lineup. Um, and even with all that being said, Brooks Lee is – one of our top 100 prospects who is one of the best players in the minor leagues right now, probably. Um, he's the best player in our system right now and the most major league ready. He's probably going to come up at some point this year, and he is a middle infielder as well. So uh, um, there's even less of a spot. If we kept Polanco, it would be like, where do we put Brooks, Brooks Lee when he's coming up? And he is a very valuable player to the twin system right now. Um and somebody that needs to see a debut this year. So we kind of need to have a spot for him um, unless we wanted to trade him, which I'm glad we didn't do. Um, the other thing is before this trade, the twins had three top 100 prospects in, um, in the system. And that like 
is not is not a high number. It's a very it's probably bottom ten in the league in terms of high end prospects in the minors. Now some of that is because guys like Royce Lewis have come up recently and they're still young players. They're still prospects in theory, but they don't qualify for the minor league prospect sort of rankings. Um, guys like Julian, guys like Lewis, Matt Walner, I think was on the edge of the top 100 when he came up as well. Um, Gabriel Gonzalez is by some websites, top a top 100 prospect by some websites, just outside the top 100. Either way, he's around the 80 to 120 level prospect. Um, which makes him our fourth best prospect in our entire system, which is great because I think we think about the Twins as always having good farm leagues. I think 10 years ago, our our minor league system was always kind of stocked with prospects, and that was how we were winning ball games or we were building a winning team through the minor leagues. That's not really the case anymore. Um, over the past five years or so, we've often had less, fewer sorry, um, top 100 prospects than many teams in the, in the, in the majors teams, like the Yankees teams, like the Dodgers have become actually very, very good at developing their farm systems. Um, and I'm not sure like teams like the Rays seem to have like eight top 100 prospects at all times. Um, anyway, so Gabriel Gonzalez is that. So to rebolster the minor leagues a little bit, I think is a great move, especially when we can give away somebody that isn't probably going to play um, as much, or at least we'd have to find a spot for him in a way that would feel unnatural in terms of taking other guys out the field. Anyway, about Gonzalez, he's the biggest piece in this, in this trade. Um, he's very young, I think 19 or 20, um, probably going to be a corner outfielder when he gets to the majors in however many years. Um, it's going to be a while still. Um, he played at Modesto and Everett or Eugene or Everett, Everett. It's some place in Oregon. Um, I think it's Everett. Anyway, so that was uh, low A and high A. By the way, almost the exact same progression as Sam Carlson. I don't know if anybody that listens to this pod knows who that is, but he came out of Burnsville um, five or so years ago now. My college roommate was his best friend. Um, and I met the dude anyway, he was, he's been at Modesto and got moved up to Everett last year, almost the exact same time that Gabriel Gonzalez was. So that's kind of interesting. Um, anyway, um, a long way away from the majors came right out of high school. still very young. Um, looks to be a, you know, projecting forward, however many years, a corner outfielder with a really big arm and also a really big bat, which is, you know, good. Kind of like, I mean, Michael Kadire, we obviously knew for however many years, um, was a good contact and power hitter and then would throw guys out all the time from right field. So maybe somebody like that, probably more on the power side um, than Kadire was, but um, he's also kind of short, which is interesting. Like 5'9", 165, but low-key pumps the ball. Anyway, um, he's, he's a long way off. Uh, if he continues to develop, he'll climb up the top 100 rankings. But um, more to just kind of fill up the the uh, farm system more than anything else. Um, as far as the major league players we got, Justin Topa will be in the bullpen. Um, 
we bolster the bullpen a little bit. He was good with the Mariners last year. Not a lot of uh, indicators of being that good before then. And the Mariners are very good at turning pitchers into, um, like, or like kind of bumping up pitchers' numbers that people come to the Mariners and pitch a lot better and then they leave and maybe they don't pitch as well. So we'll see if that actually happens. The Twins are supposed to be known for that too. Whether that actually happens or not is kind of um, remains to be seen. As far as Anthony. So he's good for the bullpen, right? Um, the bullpen this year is looking a lot better at the start of the year than it was last year. Um, I think Justin Topa adds to that. Um, Anthony D. Sclafani, by the way, um, is probably the third piece in this trade um, in terms of relevance. He might be a fifth starter for us. He might be a sixth starter. Um Depends on how we feel with him compared to Louis Varland. Um, he feels to me a lot like Chris Archer, where he comes in and we're like, eh, we don't really know what he has. He hasn't been very good in a while. Um, who was that fat guy that we had on our team for a while before then? I don't remember his name. Um, whatever, it's not going to come to me. But um, he's like, has major league experience, not a lot of necessarily success has been pretty mediocre for his entire career, but you know, he'll eat innings for us. Um, it'll be a depth piece in the rotation. Um, Derek Falvey said something this week about now that we've bolstered the rotation, we're going to go look elsewhere. That's, I mean, we haven't really bolstered the rotation. We had a guy, you know, but you know, the rotation's no better. Let's be honest. Um, other than like, there's one more dude there and we're probably going to have a little bit easier time dealing with depth and injuries and the 162 game season, but like whatever, um, worth noting that we're not actually paying his contract. Um, twins have been very stingy with money this off season. For some reason, we're cutting payroll by $30 million compared to last year. Um, so he's getting $11 million this year, but I think the Mariners are paying most of that. And so we end up, by getting rid of Polanco, we end up saving $6 million, which they've said they're going to go try to get a bat with that. So, like, I don't know what kind of bats you can get for $6 million. Jorge Soler has been mentioned. He's, like, fine. Um, there's a couple, like, fine players that are going to bat, like, 260 and hit 24 pumps for us that might be available for $6 million. So um, that remains to be seen. Hopefully this move leads to like a little bit more spending because we got rid of a big contract, but we'll see. All right, I've talked entirely too much about the Twins. Let's get to the NFL. Um, I'm trying to get the score up. The line's lost. Um, the score was 34-31 to 31 to the 49ers. Um, one of the worst lines lost. I mean, the Lions have had a lot of losses. One of the probably more torturous losses in Lions history. Um, up by 17 at the half. End up that lead ends up evaporating by by the start of the fourth quarter. So in one quarter they lost their huge lead, um, and the game completely flipped from there. Um, I watched this with a Lions fan. I went over to his house. Um, 
or his apartment, I guess. Nobody has a house in Miami. Um, and he's from Michigan, and he was, like, ecstatic, overjoyed, very surprised at how, like, well the first half went. Um, the Lions were the better team on both sides of the ball, seemingly, in the first half. Their offense was dominating the Niners up front. They were running the ball exactly how I, you know, talked about last week on the pod. That if they run the ball with David Montgomery, with Jameer Gibbs, get those big receivers and big tight ends involved in the blocking, then this is like they're going to have some um, have some success the same way the Packers did. And that's exactly what happened in the first half. And for some of the second half, they got away from it a little bit when the game turned on them. Um but just big chunks from David Montgomery just to start out the game. And then obviously the huge uh, jet sweep type thing from Jameson Williams for that first score. Um, really dominated the game up front on both sides for the first half. And then went into the break, I believe 24 to 7 is what the score was. 24 to 7. Um, let me just make sure that's right. Well, Yeah, that's right. Um, the Niners had one good drive in the first half, but other than that, you know, Detroit kind of dominated. Um, and then the second half happened, right? And so, if you, unless you've had your head under a rock or don't consume sports content other than the internal show, which would be a wild move, you understand what <laughs> happened to the to the Lions in the second half. And the sort of fourth down decisions that have become super popular to talk about in the past week. So I'll just like walk it through drive by drive. Um, first drive of the second half. Niners are moving the ball a bit and Debo's getting involved a little bit. Purdy makes a weird across the body running to the left throw up to Ayuk or like Juwan Johnson maybe I think it was. Um, not Juwan Jennings. Juwan Johnson's a tight end for the Saints. Um, that, like, works. And we're like, okay. Like, there's clearly something here. Had a bit of a plan. Getting Debo involved. Offense is looking better than it did. But then they only get a field goal. And it's, you know, has to be a pretty large, long field goal at that. You know, Jake Moody's not a good kicker, but he made the 43-yarder. So we're like, all right, well. That drive took up 50 five minutes of game clock we're 25 minutes away from the end of the game they're only three points closer they can't beat you with field goals right and so then the lions take the ball good drive good drive good drive they get to about the same spot on the field about the 28 fourth and two and they go for it and this was a Josh Reynolds drop, the first of his very important drop, two drops. Immediately a touchdown from San Francisco, including a very difficult drop or a very difficult reception um, that bounced off people from Ayuk and Purdy. Hold on, I just got a text. I need to deal with it right now. I didn't do something. I can take care of it. 
and a half hour. Um, and then immediately the first play, the next drive, Jameer Gibbs fumbles on his own 25, and they go down a score of four-play, 24-yard touchdown, and it's tied up. Three now from the Lions. Field goal from um, – three now from the Lions. That included a huge drop, I believe, um, from Josh Reynolds on third and ten. This one was an easy, easier catch despite it being a longer pass. Um, Lions kick – or the Niners kick a field goal. Detroit again goes for it on fourth and three from the 30 this time. Would have been a long kick. Again misses. The game is essentially over from there after – San Francisco Florida's touchdown. And so the talk all week has been who or why are we going for two? Or Sorry, lost my train of thought. Why are we going for it on fourth down instead of kicking the ball? If they kick the ball twice and make it both times, this game is a three-point win for them. And the reason isn't analytics. The reason isn't Dan Campbell playing with his balls and sticking to his gut or whatever. Like that's that's not the like none of that is the reason. The reason is that Michael Badgley is a really really bad kicker that they cut once already this year and then brought him back when they had to cut the other guy. It's not like the whole debate that we're having this week and it's been on like every sports outlet is like analytics versus man football versus Dan Campbell versus sticking like it's just it none of it's accurate. It's just Michael Badgley isn't good. You don't trust him to make a 45-yarder because I think he's like 50% from those this year. You certainly don't trust him to make a 50-yarder or like a 48-yarder, which would have been the last one. Um, It's just not like – I think you maybe – like in the moment, I think you maybe go – like I I said in the moment on the first one that would have made it a 17-point lead again. I think you kick that one. In the moment, I said that. But it's fourth and two. And they ran the right play and somebody was open and he just didn't catch the ball. I I think you maybe kick that one. I don't think you can kick the second one because I don't think he's going to make it. Um, if they had Justin Tucker, I'd be interested to see what Dan Campbell would do, whether he'd stick to the guns the way he has. But they don't. They might go back to and he's not very good. Um <clears throat> That being said, when they lost to the Cowboys and he made a dumb decision after things went bad for him, I said if he makes more dumb decisions and he loses a playoff game, like we have to start calling into question the Daniel Dan Campbell sticking to his guns thing. He made a really bad decision to run the ball um, on third and goal or whatever it was to then have to use the timeout to then have to kick an onside kick. It was a really bad decision. And that was the type of decision that you make in Madden when you're down and you're just like, oh, I'm going to do it. It was the wrong decision. And he has to be criticized for that. And then I think he also made the wrong decision to go for it on fourth down, even though that one worked. And there's a lot of people that have only been complaining about him going for it on fourth down on the ones that didn't work because they just see the game and it didn't work. And then they're like, oh, I'm mad. He should not have gone for it. They need a touchdown in the very last play from offense that they actually ran. It was fourth and two from, or fourth and goal from two or three or something like that. And you need a field goal, you take the field goal. 
you need a touchdown as well. But if you don't get it there, the game's over. Field goal keeps the game going. I think you probably should have kicked that one too. In the moment, I said he should have kicked all three of them. But it is what it is. In hindsight, I think Michael Badgley's not a good kicker, but he would have made that chip shot. Anyway. Either way, the biggest plays in the game were the IU catch off the helmet, which you could also call that a drop pick. That would have made a huge difference in the game, obviously. And then the Gibbs fumble. But other than that, the Lions, exactly the game plan that I said, is exactly what was working. Um, And they were dominating the game until those things happened. As far as Brock Purdy goes, he was really good in in the second half. Very good. Um... Made big plays with the arm, made big plays with the legs. And it'll be interesting to see what kind of things they can make happen against the Chiefs, a very good Chiefs defense. Um, let me see if I had any other notes. And then we'll move on to the other game. Oh, um, has Sam Laporta always had the fat girl knee brace? Has that always been a part of his, his game? Has he always done that? I mean, I feel like I've watched a decent amount of Lions games this year, whether it's on the red zone or just, you know, these playoffs or whatever. I watched, like, the Cowboys game, too, because it was prime time. Has he always just had, like, a massive knee brace on one of his knees? Or is that a new thing? Um, Somebody let me know. Um, Waving goodbye at halftime was a mistake. C.J. Gardner-Johnson did that. That was a, a big mistake. Very big mistake because they lost the game. Um, I said pretty played his tits off on the second half. Yep, that's correct. I already talked about that. Um, yeah, I think that covered it. Um, Ravens Chiefs. So this game was 17 to 10. Um, it was a complete rock fight. Both offense looked bad after the first like three drives when they both when they were three touchdowns. Um, The difference in this game, and I'll go like this is a part that I recorded in the in the in the uh, in the car that I've already done that I'll put in the podcast right after this. The difference in this game, right, was that when shit hit the fan and the defenses were dominating, Lamar gave the Chiefs, who have a great defense, he gave them two for free. He gave, he fumbled, and he threw a really bad pick into quadruple coverage. That's the difference between the the Ravens scoring, you know, 20 points in this game versus 10. Was, and maybe the difference between Chiefs, you know, scoring 17 versus not. Um, Patrick Mahomes on the score line was not great in this game. He had 240 yards, one touchdown, no picks, got sacked twice. But he was 30 of 39, incredibly efficient, over 75%. Um, the ball barely barely ever hit the ground, and it never went to the other team. Kansas City won this. Kansas City is the worst team overall, is the worst team. Um, and I think that's indicative of only winning by seven points when you win the turnover margin by three to nothing. Kansas City is the worst team, but Patrick Mahomes never let the ball hit the ground or only let it hit the ground nine times. 
never turned the ball over. Lamar turned it over twice and made plays with his legs to extend drives, keep the defense off the field, and that ended up being the reason they won the game. Um, Pacheco was great, too. Well, he was, wasn't great, but, you know, 68 yards, carried the ball a lot. Not great from in terms of an average standpoint, but um, big chunk plays just aren't available against this Ravens defense for the most part. Had the big catch to, you know, to Travis Kelsey um, for the touchdown, but, you know, one big catch to Mar- Marquez Valdez-Scantling to ice the game, but other than that, not a lot of chunk plays were happening. Um, and it's just the Ravens have a really, really good defense that played really, really well. But Patrick Mahomes didn't give him a turnover. He didn't give him a chance. And credit to the receivers. Um, pretty good without drops today and never fumbled either. You know, so um, they played a cleaner game than they did last week against the Bills. Um, and they need to because the Ravens are a really good team. As far as the Ravens go. There's going to be the talk about Lamar can't win the playoffs. There's going to be that talk. It is what it is. Um, and some of the reasons that is is going to be some of the stuff I talked about in the car already. Um, there were just too many little mistakes. It was little personal fouls, penalties. Obviously, when they were really starting to come back, <laughs> Zay Flowers, big play to Zay Flowers. He stands over a guy like an idiot. It's just, I could say, like, from the beginning of him, like, physically turning the guy over so he can stare at him, I was like, that's a taunting. And, you know, two seconds later, it was a taunting. Um, That's the type of mistake that they were making all game. That's a 15-yard penalty, I believe. Then they give it to Zay Flowers again. He has a chance to score a touchdown, and he fumbles in the end zone. So, like, on that one play, he kind of killed their chances to come back in that game. Um, They eventually kind of got their way back a little bit. Lamar throws a really bad pick. And just like that, the game was Kansas Kansas City's. Um, People are going to talk about the Baltimore Ravens um, defense closing out Kansas City for an entire half. Very impressive. Well, the offense only scored three points in that entire half, so um, that wasn't what you needed. Um, Just to... um, sort of tie up some of this uh, Lamar Jackson stuff. He was 272 yards on 20 of 37. So more yards, bigger chunk plays, some of that to say flowers, that type of stuff, but a lot less efficient and the pick and the fumble and four sacks. And that's the type of stuff that's, you know, Patrick Mahomes avoided. Um, They did not run the ball. So Lamar Jackson threw the ball to himself. I got to recognize that that happened. That was sick. Um, He also ran the ball for 54 yards and eight carries. That's sick as well. Gus Edwards had three carries for 20 yards. That's 6.7 per carry. One of them was a 15-yard burst, so that obviously makes a difference there. But overall, through all all rushers, the Ravens had 5.1 yards per carry, and they only ran the ball 16 times. Why didn't they run the ball more? Like, that's the big question is, like, we can talk about Lamar, the picks, fumble, whatever, can't win the playoffs, whatever, but why didn't they run the ball more? This used to be a running team primarily. Lamar ran eight times because that's part of this game. But they handed off to the running back only eight times. Lamar had half the carries, and obviously he was really efficient. But 
run the ball. Only six handoffs to the running backs because two of them were Zay Flowers. Um, I, I don't understand why they don't run the ball. Like Kansas City is good defense, sure. But this team has been built to run, run the ball as long as Lamar's been there, as long as John Harbaugh's been there. Um, don't really know. Um, Super Bowl laundry's done. Super Bowl preview will be coming next week. I'm going to pause right now. Put in the stuff I recorded in the car about Mahomes' legacy compared to Brady, compared to Lamar, compared to Josh Allen, compared to Aaron Rodgers. If that doesn't make sense, hopefully it soon will. And then I'll come back on after that, after I switch my laundry to the post game. All right. Throwing it to myself in the car. All right, so I'm recording this little thing um, for this week's pod, separately from everything else, because I'm driving right now, and it's on my mind, and I want to say it out loud before I forget it or, like, confuse myself or, like, mess it up somehow tomorrow morning because I wrote notes that don't make sense anymore or whatever. And the point is this, right? If you're listening now, you just listened to me talk about um, the AFC and NFC championship games in the NFL. The point is this. I don't think it's useful right now to talk about is Mahomes better than Brady? Is Mahomes whatever? Like, I think the the GOAT conversation is kind of silly when one played from, you know, until he's 42 or 44 or whatever it was, some crazy number, and won a Super Bowl in his second to last year. And the other is maybe not even halfway through the career. I don't know. The fact... But I think the interesting thing is that he is the exact same time of type of great as Tom Brady. And that you're like, that doesn't make any sense. Tom Brady played differently, um, primarily stood in the pocket, blah, blah, blah. Mahomes, um, he's legs a little bit more, blah, blah, blah. That's not the point. The point is that both of them can win no matter what you ask of them, right? So if you look at Mahomes, he started out his career throwing deep a lot. He had crazy prolific weapons, Tyreek Hill, Mikkel Hardman um, is a deep threat. Obviously still got Mikkel. He's not the best player, but Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, elite weapons everywhere. A lot of deep passing, a lot of really throwing the ball deep. Um, and that's how he started his career. He won a Super Bowl like that and lost another one like that. Went to two Super Bowls with that kind of offense, that kind of vibe, and won one of them. Then he transitions into once Tyreek Hill leaves, no problem whatsoever, we're going to go win a Super Bowl. This time the offense is so primarily focused around the tight end, right? And so Travis Kelsey was the most targeted player in football. He had the most yards after the catch. He had an insanely prolific tight end season. And they won the Super Bowl that way, right? And that was with some upgrades to the offensive line too, which helps. It's the reason they lost the, the second Super Bowl. This year, Travis Kelsey has slowed down a little bit. And Mahomes is struggling with some of his receivers. 
catching the ball, being open, all that stuff. He's turned into an elite game flow manager, and that is you saw it in this Ravens game. They didn't ask a lot from him, or they didn't necessarily ask him to push the ball downfield a ton. In some ways, they only scored 17 points. It wasn't a great game. They punted a lot, but he was hyper-efficient in terms of completions, protected the ball, dominated the time of possession, and got the job done often just extending drives, just getting first downs, just um, you know making plays with his feet to get seven yards and move the chains and keep the ball and keep um, you know his defense on the bench, their offense off the field. We've seen that even without weapons that are necessarily all that good, Travis Kelsey has a bit of a resurgence in the playoffs now. Um, he's been able to completely neutralize what are supposed to be like really scary defenses. The Ravens' defense is a plus. You expect them to make some plus plays for you in the game. They did a lot of stopping, but there was no turnovers. There was only two sacks, I believe. Nothing um, in the way of like damaging plays happening because Patrick Mahomes was entirely in control of the game. So that's a third way that he can play. And the ball very rarely even hit the ground. It's a lot of completions. I don't have the numbers in front of me right now because I'm driving. But um, I think you know what I mean. This is similar to Tom Brady in that he did the exact same thing throughout his career. Obviously, he had you know 20 years in the league to pick from. But there were times when he won with the prolific um, weapons. You know, he had the Randy Moss and the West Welk underneath, and there was a lot of deep passing. They lost a Super Bowl like that, but went undefeated to that point. Then he did the exact same thing at 40 years old. He's got Chris Godwin. He's got Mike Evans. He's got Antonio Brown for parts of that time. And one of the highest passing volume offenses of his career um, in his last Super Bowl run and the one that he did win in Tampa Bay. He's won that way. He's obviously, we all know um, how at times that those offenses in New England were focused around the tight end. So he's won that way. Um, with Gronk and Aaron Hernandez when he wasn't killing people and killing himself. Um, And then there's times in between there. Obviously, the early ones, he gets a lot of credit for, but he wasn't maybe an elite quarterback those first few years. A lot of that was the team. Um, But even the 28-3 Super Bowl against the Falcons, there was so much targeting of of the, you know, receiving backs. There was a different way that that offense made sense and was a winning offense um, with him in charge. And each of these times, right, um, there's some criticism of Tom Brady. Oh, he only throws the receive- to, to the receiving backs. Um, only throws to James White. Like, he's a checkdown merchant or whatever. When, like, if that's exactly the offense that works best and he's able to do that, then, you know, and he wins the Super Bowl, that's, like, obviously a credit to his greatness. And you're like, okay, this doesn't make sense. A lot of people can throw their running back. You know who can't win multiple ways? If we're going to do the Mahomes comparison, the Mahomes era comparison, you know who can't win multiple ways? Josh Allen can't. He plays one way. And when it's working, people look at him and say, nobody plays the game like him. Nobody plays the game as well as he does. He does things that Mahomes can't do. But he can't control the ball. He can't sort of make the check down consistently um, sort of just moving the change that way. That's not something he can do. 
maybe he could, but he seems unwilling to. Right, and so when Josh Allen is at his best and his team is able to live with the gunslinging, throwing the ball deep all the time, you know, throw a couple picks a game and, and we're going to deal with it anyway, running wild, not ever sliding. Um, when his team can deal with that, that you can look at him and say he's the best quarterback in football because it's so dominant and the way he plays is so different. But with the defense he had this year, even scoring quickly, they're not good enough to stand out there, you know, for 40 minutes a game. Turning the ball over short field, that defense isn't good enough to, to help him out. And um, Stephon Diggs losing a step, a couple other options not being all that good, Gabriel Davis, whatever. That team wasn't set up to win that way. Patrick Mahomes' team wasn't set up to win that way either, so he didn't play that way. He's been playing hyper-efficient, you know, controlling the football, controlling time of possession, giving his defense a break um, so then they can go dominate in a way that um, Josh Allen isn't capable. If you look at Lamar Jackson, he's not even capable of doing that. We saw some of the horrible picks he, you know, the horrible pick he threw at the end of the uh, AFC Championship game. Supposed to do a U-turn here? What the fuck? How is that even possible? Um, <clears throat> you know, and same thing goes for Lamar. When he's on and he's running the ball 150 yards a game and passing for 200, like, nobody plays the game like that. You know, there's times when he's more electric than Patrick Mahomes. He's the MVP this year. He had a better season in theory. But they lost to Patrick Mahomes because he couldn't play the ball control grind it out, let the defenses do the work game the way Patrick Mahomes can. It is a benefit to be able to do multiple things as a quarterback, even if compared to other quarterbacks at their greatest, there's something that they can do that you can't do. There's so many things that Patrick Mahomes can do that Josh Allen can't do. But when Josh Allen is doing the one thing that he does best, Patrick Mahomes isn't maybe as good. But there's so many times when that's just not possible for him because the team isn't set up that way or the matchup isn't set up that way. And I think that's why we saw the, the Bills be so up and down this year. Same thing goes for um, who's honking and f at what? Um, same thing goes for, you know, Brady and his contemporaries. There was so much talk about... Um, is Brady the best, all greatest of all time? Versus Aaron Rodgers being the best of all time. People look at Aaron Rodgers play football when he's on and they're like, nobody has ever played the game that way. And that's true. But how many losing seasons did Aaron Rodgers have throughout his career? Or seasons where they just weren't quite good enough and he's always blaming um, Matt LaFleur or whoever's going on. He needs his receivers to be comfortable. He can't throw to Alan Lazard. Like, like the receivers that are in Green Bay this year that Jordan Love is succeeding with, they were there last year. Some of them. Romeo Dobbs was. Um... Christian Watson was and and they, they weren't good you know because Aaron Rodgers sort of needs the game to be a certain way for him when he goes to New York they had to use the Aaron Rodgers offense obviously we didn't get to see how it worked out but Tom Brady operated under so many different offenses and won six Super Bowls using so many different schemes and so many different sort of team makeups in a way that Aaron Rodgers never was able to do and that's why he won one super bowl and so if you go like oh quarterback stats isn't a thing you know 
Super Bowls are a team award. What Tom Brady, like we all saw what we saw with Aaron Rodgers. He's better than Tom Brady despite the Super Bowls. The teams were set up, whatever. There's a reason that quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady win so much. And it's because they can do whatever the team needs. They don't need specifically what they want. There's a reason that Josh Allen hasn't won a Super Bowl. And that's because he can only do one thing. And when he's on, he does that one thing really, really well. There's a reason Aaron Rodgers only won one Super Bowl. And that was because when he's on, he does that one thing really, really well. But when something else is needed, he can't do it necessarily. And so, yes, Tom Brady had good defenses his entire career. But Bill Belichick, he had a great coach his entire career. Patrick Mahomes has the same. Um, He's got a great defense right now. Um, Andy Reid is a great coach. You can go on and on. uh, You know, advantages in his favor. Every good player, you know, that's on a good team is going to have good players around him. It's just how it is. But there's so many things guy just got really mad at me that's crazy there's so many things that Patrick Mahomes does for the team whatever that it means you know whether it's throw deep all the time throw the tight end just take care of the football on an elite level that other quarterbacks can't do and I think that's why Patrick Mahomes is a level of greatness that we haven't seen since Tom Brady and it's like they're similar in that way and that's why he's better than Lamar that's why he's better than Josh Allen that's why Tom Brady was better than Aaron Rodgers and better than even Peyton Manning like if if you have time to sit in the pocket and pick it apart and be incredibly accurate all the time um you know he was the best ever and he put up incredible numbers that way and won two Super Bowls that way but how many other times was, you know, did the team not quite get there because he couldn't quite make the adjustment. He kind of played his own game. Um, that may be slightly unnecessary Peyton Manning slander, but I think that the point makes sense. Um, anyway, enjoy the rest of the internal show. All right. Post game time back in the apartment. Switch my laundry. Doing five loads of laundry today. Huge day for the program, Loki. Um, post game today might be a little controversial. It's about football. It's about the Super Bowl. The take is this. If you think that Taylor Swift is going to ruin the Super Bowl for you, you are a casual. Let me say that again. If you think that Taylor Swift is going to ruin the Super Bowl that the Super Bowl is not the same or that Taylor Swift is taking over the Super Bowl, you are a casual fan of sports. I'm not saying you have to like Taylor Swift, right? I don't like Taylor Swift that much. I think her music is kind of bad. Every song kind of sounds the same. I think that the people that like love her and say that she can do no wrong and like their entire life revolves around Taylor Swift, I, don't th- I think those people are losers. I think that she is a fairly good music artist that is an elite businesswoman and knows how to get her fans to buy everything she makes, even when it, like a normal person would think that would be like an insane move to like watch a movie of the concert you went to. I think 
all of that stuff is true. I don't listen to her music. I don't like her. I mean, I don't dislike her. I just will never like purposely go out of my way to see Taylor Swift content in any kind of way. Um, and I think people that are like crazy about her are a little bit insane. That being said, I've watched most of the games the Chiefs have played, whether it's, you know, a lot, they've played a lot of national games or on the red zone. It's definitely watched every playoff game they've played. When they like show her in the box for like 20 seconds at a time, I'm not like, oh my God, like get her off my screen. Like, uh, like I'm not like, who does that? If you are like genuinely bothered by Taylor Swift being around football or like you think that she's like way too big of an influence on NFL right now, then one of two things are true. Either you don't actually watch the games and then you just see the highlights where she is very present in the highlights, to be fair. Like they're like, oh, Taylor Swift's at the game and it's like half the highlight, right? And then they show them after the game, it's like half the highlight, it's all over the Instagram pages, whatever. If that's the way that you primarily consume sports through Instagram accounts, ESPN Sports Center highlights, and you don't actually watch the games, then you are a casual, and that's just true. You don't actually you don't actually watch the football games, you're a casual. The other thing might be true is that you genuinely think that the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl because the NFL rigged it to be that way. If you genuinely think that then you are also a casual. If you think that the Chiefs are winning because the NFL somehow rigged it that way, when low-key the game was most recently officiated against the Chiefs, like probably more in favor of the Ravens than it was against the Chiefs, and you think that Lamar turning the ball over twice and Patrick Holmes never letting the ball hit the ground, all the stuff I just talked about in the car, if you think that that's not the reason that the Chiefs won and that the reason the Chiefs won is because the NFL rigged it that way to get Taylor Swift at the Super Bowl, if you actually, in your heart of hearts, in your deep in your soul, you believe that, then you are a casual who knows nothing about football. And so, like, in my mind, and maybe somebody can tell me I'm wrong in some way, there's no other way to, like, actually be bothered by Taylor Swift's presence unless those one of those two things are true. And if either of those two things are true, then you are a casual fan and you don't like football that much. I'm not sitting here and claiming I'm some kind of expert football watcher, but I think for most people that watch most of the games, these playoffs have been sick. And you can be you're allowed to be like tired of Patrick Mahomes being really good, the way that like I used to be really tired of Steph Curry and KD being really good on the Warriors and winning every year. Like I like that's fine. You're allowed to be that. But if you if you're like, oh, I hate the Chiefs because of Taylor Swift, like you're dumb as fuck. Like I'm sorry, you're dumb as fuck and you don't watch football. I saw like a stat online because people are talking about this. Taylor Swift is like on the broadcast for less than half of a percent of the time. Less than half a percent. So that means if the broadcast is, I'm going to get in trouble doing math here. The broadcast is four hours long, right? 1% of four hours. Shit, I am going to get in trouble doing math here. I have to now times that by 60 minutes. All right, four times 60, um, 240, right? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So <laughs> the broadcast is four hours long. That means 240 minutes of Taylor Swift. 1% of that would be 2.4 minutes. Half of that percent would be 1.2 minutes. And it's less than that. She's on screen for a minute a game. A minute. A minute a game in like six, ten second chunks perhaps. Like, if that is bothering you, like just tell me you don't watch the games and tell me you don't like football. Like, just tell me that. Also, and if it's like the she's always on Sports Center thing or like the people who can't stop talking about her thing, like all of the places that I go to for my like sports content, my football content, whatever, none of them are talking about Taylor Swift for more than like I'm doing right now, maybe like three minutes here and there. Like I've heard way more talk about Mahomes versus Brady is this, you know, Mahomes legacy year is, is this his best job ever? Um, obviously a lot about the Dan Campbell fourth down decisions, but like, like if, if you're genuinely not a casual and you're consuming content that focuses on Taylor Swift more than or equal to the amount that they talk about football, you just got to start looking at different content, man. Like I, like if you're if you're going to Sports Center highlights for your football fix, like just look somewhere else. So anyway, that's the take. I think it's a rock solid one. I honestly don't know how anybody could argue with this when you look at the stats or like the stats of her being on screen. Like, like they show like they showed Donna Kelsey just as much last year, like in the Super Bowl. And everybody's like, oh, Donna Kelsey, like, oh, so fun, like. You're allowed to maybe be like, all right, that's annoying. I don't care anymore. But if it's ruining the Super Bowl for you, I had one friend text me. He's a, he is a casual. I would call him a casual um, of many sports. If he knew I was saying this, he'd be very upset. But he texted me. was like, I, I really want the Chiefs to lose because I hate Taylor Swift. Like, what? Like, I don't even... She's like barely, like barely on the, like, how is she's like, he was like, I don't what he, he didn't even just say, I hate Taylor Swift. If you like hate Taylor Swift for some reason and you like get joy out of her being upset and the chiefs losing would make her upset, then maybe uh, you're weird, but like, maybe sure. But like, if you think he's going to, if you think she's going to ruin the Super Bowl for you, then you don't actually like football, which is fine. You're not, not everybody has to like football. This probably isn't the podcast for you, but like, if that's the problem, you don't like football. I had another guy, the guy that I went over to watch the lot. He's like, you have to wonder if the NFL put in, you know, they're just like, oh, we want Taylor Swift to get the Super Bowl. You have to wonder. And I was like, you don't, you don't have to wonder. Like, no, that didn't happen. Like, if you watch the game, the Ravens have made so many fucking mistakes. You don't have to wonder. You think there was an earpiece in Zay Flowers' helmet being like, yeah, fumble the ball here. Oh, wait. Or maybe, like, there definitely wasn't. Maybe there was one when uh, it was like, oh, wait, 
flip this guy over and then stare in his face and call his mother a hoe for whatever and get a taunting penalty. Like there wasn't big NFL doesn't have an earpiece in each person's helmet being like, all right, throw this part. We'll, we'll sauce you an extra million. Like that's not happening. If you actually think that's happening, then you don't watch the games and you don't actually understand football or you're stupid. Those are your options. Your options are either put up with a minute of Taylor Swift on screen each game and not complain about it. Admit that you're a cat. That's one option. And option two is admit that you're a casual sports fan, that you don't like football. That's option two. Option three is admit that you're a big, dumb idiot. Those are the three options. I think most of you should just put up with the one minute of Taylor Swift on screen. Like, how many times... Like, I think I've made my point, but I'm going to keep going. I don't give a shit. How many times, like, watching the Twins growing up or something, right? Like, I watched a lot of Twins games growing up. My dad always had it on. How many times was it, like, a guy making his major league debut? They show his family. They show his family, like, a lot. Does it bother it? No. Who cares? You're not like, oh, my gosh, they're cutting away from the action way too much to show this family. Like, nobody cares. Like, it's fun to see the family. If you don't like Taylor Swift being on screen, who gives a shit? Fucking Budweiser commercials are going to be on screen more than Taylor Swift is this Super Bowl. People also, like, love the commercials. Like, if you love the commercials, they're distracting from football. But you don't, like, one minute of Taylor Swift in the game. Like, I'm not saying I give a shit when they show it. But it's just, like, who cares? They're not skipping away from plays to show we're in the box. It's just, like, in between plays when nothing, literally nothing is happening. They're like, oh, there's Taylor Swift. Or after a touchdown, oh, there's she cheering. It's either that or like showing a different fan cheering. I don't like it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter unless you like only watch House of Highlights and Sports Center clips, and then they showed a lot. But like, if that's the case, then you're casual. All right, that's the that's the take. I've talked about it too long. Um, can't really make a Taylor Swift emoji. That doesn't really make any sense. Um, just a football emoji. Just classic football emoji. That's the internet. I'll show peace.